Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnertwine. The bad white men call him the devil. The Yavapai call him eyes like the sky. Hey Daniel, Ron here on another great episode of Cutting for Sign with you. Hey, what's up? Good morning. <laughs> You're looking handsome. You've been doing something different. You've been like doing a skin I have contacts on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have my, my five inch thick nerdy glasses. <laughs> yeah, thanks for noticing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel good. I feel good. Good. Episode 53, Alan Amato. I hope I'm saying his name right. I was looking for interviews with him, someone yeah. to say his name, and yeah. I didn't find any. <laughs> so, <laughs> Alan's like you were saying before we started. Alan's a, like an actual cool guy. Like, like he's one of those guys yeah. that seems to be kind of a defining tastemaker of coolness. Photographer. Yeah. Before we let him in, and he's here. Um, what are you looking for? Like, what are you cutting for sign for today? Uh, well, his his um, his documentary with Olga Nunez, Temple of Art, spoke to me pretty clearly yeah. uh, as an artist about what that process is, what the definition of art is, yeah, and what it looks like to be a professional artist. Um, so I'm curious about. I mean, I guess I don't. I, I'm not as curious about that because he did a documentary and it's great <laughs> that like yeah. piqued my interest, but. I just want to know who he is and, and like get a vibe for like, is he happy in life? You know, like he's got all the things, you yeah. got these very cool, famous, incredible artists saying all these great things about you. How are you doing? You know? And, yeah. and I, I think that that's important because as I go into, um, there's a couple of different uh, paths in life or one particular path in life that I'm looking to explore uh, more pretty soon. And that could lead to spending some time around people who are kind of like really crushing it as artists. Yeah. And I'm just really fascinated to see like how they're doing. Are you doing? Are you, how's your life? Like you have all the things. Are you doing all right? Because yeah. that's not always the case. So I'm. He seems like I don't know anything about him. I couldn't find interviews with him. Yeah, you know, I could only find yeah. his work. Yeah. So I'm just like, who the fuck are you, man? Yeah. That's be a fun how conversation then. Yeah. How about oh, you? I mean, the. I mean the same in the sense that I. I have, I'm recognizing a creative part of me that I have suppressed for the better oh. part of 20 years of my life. Yeah. And hearing about grit and in particular, and the like willpower over a talent and being able to like put your nose down, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a burgeoning writer. I hope to be good in maybe 20 years. You know, if I if I could say I'm good and published and be considered good in my 60s, then that would be value. Like that would be everything, or my yeah. 70s even. God, you know, yeah. like if that's long, how long it takes, then that's what it's going to take. You know, that's funny. I thought about you yesterday when I was watching the Temple Art clips mm. because I was like, Ron's an artist. Like you're a writer. Mm. You that's art. That's one of the like, clearest forms of art. Yeah. But I have never heard you or it's even kind of hard I can't, well, I can't say it's hard to imagine you considering yeah. yourself an artist but i've certainly never heard you say that but 
you you are i mean how's that feel <laughs> it, it feels scary man i mean i i think that's i mean i think hearing you even say like how you doing i think that's something in you don't let me project on you but like recognizing that like it's a scary endeavor it is it is it's vulnerable it, we have to constantly recognize yeah our lack of ability our lack of yeah. talent and that the only way to to get through that is long periods of practice and sitting with it and do and you know repping it out as you and i have said in the past or you you have said in the past and i've repeated and and i i'm finally settling in like my brain my ADAD, my whatever it all is is finally going like this is going to take a long time and that's okay and i and like it Maybe that's because I'm finally 40, I, you know, 42. Like, I don't know yeah. what it is, but it's it's realizing like what I really want is on the other side of, of yeah, you know, some time in the mine. <laughs> I, we should, I would love to talk with him about this, the definition of art yeah. and artistry, you know, in, yeah. as seen through him. Through yeah, sense. great. Well, let's, let's let him in. Okay. Alan Amato, you are a Zimbabwe-born, LA-based photographer. You discovered your love of photography after Hurricane Katrina forced you to re-examine life. Since then, you have worked with a variety of clientele, including Nick Nolte, Terry Gilliam, Neil Gaiman, and director Kevin Smith, who said of you, I can't stand to look at myself unless I've been photographed by Alan Amato. You also directed the feature-length documentary with creative partner Olga Nunes called Temple of Art. But your lifelong dream is to become an honorary member of Monty Python. Your eye has been described as a cosmic camera that sees through mortal skin to reveal the lambent ideal self beneath. And it has been said of you, where Amato aims his lens, gods and superheroes are conjured, vinyl mythologies are summoned, mere flesh becomes dreamscape, and everything, especially the grotesque, is beautiful. Alan, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, really glad to have you here, man. Yeah. Good to have Grant Morrison as a friend with those descriptors. <laughs> <laughs> that's some that's some I'm, good right. I mean, like yeah, some solid writing. writing. <laughs> you know, I cut out half of it too. He yeah. went on. He's <laughs> got a career. He's got a career ahead of him. <laughs> yeah, you've had some really very cool people say some awesome things about you. Yeah, <clears throat> Alan, when when did you leave Zimbabwe? Oh, when I was thirteen. So it's definitely been a oh. uh, a minute and a half ago. But I, yeah, yeah all my formative years though. Uh, yeah, right big time. So those two things kind of coincided. Regrettably. You, you what? What did you say? Uh, right up at like I hit puberty the moment we left. So it was an interesting conundrum of yeah, you know, <clears throat> genetic soup <laughs> mixed with a completely new environment. Do you have a relationship with Zimbabwe still? Do you go there often? Is your family? I there? wish I did, but no. The the uh, the, the we left because the situation there was deteriorating fairly rapidly, and it got. Uh, a few orders of magnitude worse after that. So it's, it's finally maybe, you know, it's, it, it feels like it's like an alcoholic that's hit bottom and there's nowhere to go but up. But yeah, it's just not, uh, I've never wanted to go back because everyone I know who has says you'll, your heart will break if you return. Oh, wow. I have a very idyllic Whoa. Uh, idea of my childhood. I had an amazing experience there. Hmm. Um, I like the school I went to was, it was every, color nationality it was a really big pakistani like uh, population there so i had black friends white friends indian friends pakistani friends so i had no sense of it was a really nice way to to grow up um but i just haven't really wanted to return to see what it's become i guess hmm. yeah i don't have courage 
Huh. Wow. Huh. And then wh- why were you born? Are your parents still there? Or were they? Uh, no, I'm, uh, I, so, so weird story, uh, uh, back in the day in the, in the probably like all the way up through the eighties, uh, maybe early eighties, uh, if you were, uh, a well-to-do, uh, British national and you found yourself in the family way, uh, in a, while perhaps being, uh, unmarried or, you know, not supposed to be in the family way, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a lot of the time, the solution to that was that your family would send you on a nine-month safari uh, to one of the colonies. So maybe it would be Australia, it would be Rhodesia, which was what Zimbabwe was at the time. But yeah. uh, I don't know very much. So I'm adopted. I don't know very much about my biological uh, mother, huh. except for that she's a part. Of, she was British gentry, and she came. She came on her nine-month safari, <laughs> uh, dropped me off along the way, and went back to. Wherever in Britain she is, and uh, yeah, and I got adopted in Africa. So strange. (laughs) Holy shit! My friends joke and say you're probably 27th in line for the throne, and I'm like, yeah. I'm on Ancestry.com, and I'm looking, but I haven't found the queen. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Have you have you found any of that? I'm on all that stuff. I'm on 23andMe and Ancestry. I have this one person that's supposed to be a first or second cousin, and they haven't. They've never responded. um, Mm. But I'm yeah. I'm I'm kind of yeah. I'm, I'm constantly on like a very uh, low energy hunt. I'm not, you know, hiring private yeah. investigators and shit like that, but yeah. I, I kind of, I definitely poke around and I've talked to some people, um, but I've never really come too terribly close. And, and at the, you know, it's at this point too, I'm 47. So I imagine my, my mother's probably pushing 70 or older. It's probably like that window's closing pretty fast. Why do you think it w- it's challenging to find them? Do you not have uh, well, names or anything? No names. No, it was just un. I have my birth certificate, and I'm like unknown, undocumented oh, child or something like that. So yeah. I'd have to. I mean, I'm sure there are people that specialize in this, but uh, I can't really have somebody on like a, you know, four thousand dollar a month retainer or something. Yeah. Investment, but it's also and it's Zimbabwe. Like you, you'd have to go through the records there from forty seven oh, years yeah. ago. Yeah. God. I don't, I don't hold out a high degree of probability for that. So I've never tried it, but I feel like, you know, ancestry, you never know. Like someone might just, but like there, there was a lady, um, it was, this was only a month ago that dropped on and she hasn't responded, but she is, we have 15%, uh, mm. you know, compatibility, which is yeah. like 10, I've only been up to as high as 3%. So she's a first cousin, which is super oh. cool. Whoa. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, never hasn't responded, so I sent oh, her a deal of like if you know if there's ever been a, a story in your family of some of a baby left yeah. <laughs> left in Rhodesia. That's yeah. me. Hooray! Whoa. Uh, anyway, yeah. I found a half brother. Um, oh, crazy! Yeah, kind so. of. He was he was kind of in your shoes. Um, oh. His 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 mother got pregnant while she and my father were in high school, and that was in West Texas in the '60s. Yeah. And she was disappeared to a girl's school. Yeah. And then, um, you know, he's got his own story. But but on my birthday, about six, seven years ago, he found me. It was like on my birthday. And he's like, are you Ron Cecil from New Mexico? And I was like, oh, shit. Like, maybe. <laughs> well, he found, he <laughs> found you. With anything, then yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's but the there's a lot of really strange coincidences between his path and my father's path or our, our dad's path. Mm. Um, for instance they both wanted to become undertakers that was like their high school teenage self dream <laughs> oh, that's a rarity, yeah. yeah strange right but they both in the apprenticeship 
learning how to prepare children's bodies like had a hard no. They were like, we are out, can't do this. And then they both completely separately, both became high-end metal fabricators in the oil industry and were never like that far apart. Like never more than, you know, half a day's drive apart. Um, And he looks way more like my dad than I look like my dad. Like it, and my dad passed away in 2003. So they never met. And, um, but so there's, it's interesting. It's all kinds of weird stuff out there. That's that is going to eventually start to get put together, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. So yeah, yeah, it's just a question of who kind of jumps on there, but then also who responds. So who knows? Like I just kind of fold out this like tiny little bit of hope that maybe something will work out. But also, you know, I I had a fantastic, you know, adopted family. So Mm. I've I've never been in that like, oh my God, I have to know who these people are kind of mindset. I've always just thought it would be like a lovely experience for sure. Well, plus Uh, you've never even seen you, you've never seen a sibling. You've never seen somebody that has any of your facial structure. No. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was adopted also, and I have a pretty unique story. But one of the parts of that is that I met my birth father for the first time when I was like 31 years old. Mm-hmm. And I had never, my, my mom <clears throat> died when I was really young. And, uh, and her parent, and she was adopted. So, and her parents were a total mystery. So I just had so little blood and had never seen my face. I have a half sister that I knew. I'd never seen my face in another man. And I found him and, you know, he was, he lives down in Malibu and he was like, well, come on down, you know, and I'd had the experience of like, holy shit, like, yeah, there's my hairline in there. Like there's, there's my eyes. And it was, it was pretty profound. I think there's, uh, I've, I found, maybe you found this too, that there was, uh, it was kind of nice to not know my heritage and not really know where I was from because it allowed me to be a little bit more mercurial with my identity, you know? Um, uh, but as I've filled in the pieces, it's certainly been, been meaningful, but my, that half sister I mentioned, she went on a fucking quest, uh, through ancestry and, and, um, 23andMe. Mm. Uh, to find uh, our mother's birth parents Hmm. and their names uh, were not released. They couldn't be released to us. I went through all of the searching birth certificate records and um, freedom of information acts and all of that, but it took her three years, man. And she found them and and we found a half sister of my mom's and we found the, we got the story and it was kind of a dramatic story. and uh, so it's worth it. But I tell you, Alan, she she had to put she had to get obsessed with the. Yeah, I think that's the testing. thing. And I've never. Uh, but also, I, and also probably if it was more local, maybe. But the, like trying oh, to get cute, yeah. someone in, in Africa, you know, to like try and find the Hall of Records or whatever. There totally. was one lady who was like a, a third cousin who did say she was like, well, that's funny because my uncle who passed away in 1984 lives in lived in Rhodesia. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's your, her uncle's yeah. daughter totally. or something. And I was like, did you, did, you, did you have a daughter? And she said, yes. And I was like, do you know the daughter? No. And I'm like, ah, okay. So I have, an, I have yeah. one name of a guy who died in 84. <laughs> so I might try and like see if I probably just find a, a lawyer, I guess, maybe in Africa. And obviously, mm. like, at least the exchange rates in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, a bucket know, of Zim- a trillion. Zim dollars. Zimbabwean dollars. <laughs> or maybe someday uh, do a return, you know, like 
Yeah. I know you don't want to for a good reason, but. Oh, I don't. I mean, it's it's at least Mugabe's dead now. So there's apparently yeah. a little bit of a move upward. It's uh-huh. like he's, he was a dictator for 30 six years or something Long time. Like he was like so, one of the oldest longest standing dictators oh, yeah, right yeah, yeah. Like, wow. he died in 96 so like yeah. so at least there's a little oh bit God. of fluidity there but whereas before it was just iron you know ironclad so hopefully you know you never know but do you know why it was rhodesia that they went to and how did your adoptive parents find you well, I think it was Rhodesia probably is my, my assumption. It was those, that was the colony that was easiest for them to, I like that disappear. Yeah. Like that's where they decided to disappear. Her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, you know, I, I was born in 74. So by that time there weren't too many colonies left and Rhodesia was independent at the time, but it was still really uh, uh, a satellite of the UK. Mm. Uh, my adoptive parents are second generation. Uh, they, both of their parents fled the Holocaust. So mm. As a, a kind of a weird little known fact, but when you, if you're a Jew trying to flee Europe to get out, you know, get away from concentration camps, America wasn't accepting anybody. It was next to impossible to get into Canada. Obviously, Europe was kind of a no-fly zone. So a lot of Jews fled to South America and South Africa. And so both, oh, uh, both my sets of grandparents fled to South Africa. So that my mom was born and raised in actually in apartheid South Africa. Wow. Uh, oh. and, so, and one set was Russian. And uh, so they, they fled Latvia and the other set was Italian and they fled Mussolini. So that's how I, that's how they <laughs> ended up in Africa. Man. Super weird. And then they met, yeah, they met at a wedding. Huh. Are you really close with them? Uh, I'm yes. And well, my dad passed away when I was 12. Um, oh, quite a while ago, but I'm still my mom's a lot. My mom is, you know, 82 year old Jewish lady. She just she's indestructible. She's like Magneto. Um, so your dad passed away in Rhodesia uh, three months before we were supposed to leave. What Holy the fuck? Shit. Why? Do you, or how? Uh, he had an ulcer and uh, oh, he wasn't God. supposed to. He'd stopped smoking because the doctor had said it was really aggravating the ulcer. And then he had a, you know, uh, it was stressful getting, uh, moving to America from Africa. It was a, it was oh, a really man. difficult proposition in the best of times. Yeah. So I think he just got stressed out and started smoking again and yeah, the ulcer uh, ruptured. So. You know, uh, I don't, I hope, uh, we don't have to stay on this if this is too much because we're just meeting you, but a similarity with my mother, her adoptive father, who she adored, died when she was, uh, 13 excuse me and it really really affected her life and be and part of the reason is because it happened when she was like 12 or 13 years old you know she's going into this like pretty intense part of life and uh how did like you've lived a really it seems a high functioning life um and uh how how did what what was it about you you think that allowed you to be okay I don't know. I mean, it was a, I had three really bad years that I don't Mm. think about a whole lot. It does. It's fine to talk about, but it was the culmination of my father dying, moving to going from Africa to Connecticut, which was just not the greatest uh, in terms of culture shock and then going through puberty. So all those three things happened in like a four month timeframe. Yeah. Mm. Um, So, you know, I got like bullied as, as you would expect, like a soft, like a really shy, awkward 13 year old white kid from fucking like Africa got bullied a lot and picked on. And then I think the thing, weirdly, the thing that turned it around for me initially was I had three years where I really had like one friend and it was the kid that was like 
less, you know, it was like the, the only kid less popular than I was. Um, so we forged the, like a, a bond just made out of like mutual unpopularity. But then somewhere around 15, I kind of, I got a little tired of being pushed around and I started doing martial arts and Taekwondo. And that mm -hmm. I think gave me a little bit of a sense of a little bit of self-worth and self-respect. And then also I was able to start standing up for myself and not sort of let and uh, not get bullied. And then I weirdly started getting a reputation for being the quiet kid that nobody fucked with. So mm -hmm. I wasn't, I didn't turn those, that skill set into uh, being a bully in my own right, which I'm sure some people might have gone, which I'm very glad of. But it also like, it didn't like net me a lot of, you know, uh, friends or anything like that. Uh, it just meant that uh, people, I was a little bit more of a, it was, there was a more of a hands-off approach. And I think that gave me some space to figure like figure myself out a little bit more and then I slowly started getting a couple of friends really also from that same world where they're like oh we heard you you know know how to do a, a pretty good like spinning hook kick yeah. you show us and I do it and they'd be like well that's cool and all of a sudden I'm like oh my god I'm cool mm -hmm. and so my first friends were people in that martial arts community and that you know that kind of broadened and, and but I also weirdly I attribute I used to I was an avid reader of comics and still am and I think kind of I always had these like big aspirations as a, a little kind of picked on, put down kid. You know, I kind mm. of, I, comics were my escape. So I would always like go in, and now, which is kind of fun because now I'm trying to write the fucking things, which is not something I ever thought would happen. <laughs> but I would, you know, read those stories and be like, okay, every, anything's possible. I can, you know, who knows? Who knows what might happen? Who knows what might be around the corner? And so I think, but yeah, I kind yeah. of really, I attribute martial arts to being a real big help. That's an it's an interesting answer because after I, I put a lot of effort into my finding out what my mom's story was, who she was, why her downfall happened, because she was murdered uh, specifically around drugs um, oh, and man. violence. And um, what I came up with after years of, of you know, excavating her life and, and um, was that it was a trinity of her father dying at a, at when she was going like through into teenagehood. And then her environment was LA and it was drug revolution, late sixties oh, yeah, sure. and her coping mechanisms became sex and drugs, you know, and without the father that could guide her, yeah. she was untethered. And that became her coping mechanism mechanism through her whole life. I weirdly, I, I, I was probably lucky that I went in instead of out because I think with all, when all mm. that shit happened, I, I just, you know, didn't have any friends and have anyone to turn to. So I think my inner life got really rich because there was no outlet. So mm. my outlet became internal rather than external. And wow. I think the, probably the good thing about that is like, I was super straight edge. I didn't have a drink until I was 19. Like I didn't touch drugs until <laughs> I was 21. And then I was off to the fucking races, but like, you know, <laughs> but I think once you, I still, I had enough of a, a formed uh, opinion yeah. of myself that totally. I never fell into any kind of like a bad situation but it was probably i probably lucked out by going in rather than uh exploring outward because everyone outward was you know didn't like me or picked on me or fun huh. of me so i'd be like okay i just don't want to talk to anyone yeah was that straight edge part of the you know the 90s late 80s early 90s like straight edge punk scene or is that because no, of a religious it, I was I, I just only heard about that when I wasn't straight edge anymore. I, <laughs> I don't think like Connecticut fucking West Hartford did not have a goddamn punk scene. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I just my friends and I, they were the burn like we always thought of the kids that would like smoke weed and drink. They were like the burnouts and we didn't yeah. like the burnouts. So when I started getting a couple of friends around that like kind of more martial arts community, and then they introduced me to some of like their friends and 
uh, I actually built some relationships. Mm. Um, we just kind of took weird pride in the fact that we wouldn't just get together and drink beer and like smoke weed. Mm. Like, no, that's bullshit. That's rotting your brain. Like we're, we're clear. So we, we were straight edge. We just didn't know that there was an actual, like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, a movement, <laughs> a straight edge movement. We were just sort of inadvertently part of it. You know, it's funny, Alan, you're talking about martial arts and since you got on, between that blue bar at the top of your screen and the pattern on your stairs in the background it, and the lighting, it just looks like you're in the octagon. Got it done. Yeah, totally You know what I mean? I found an old 70s Japanese poster of Enter the Dragons. So that's <clears> like my reminder. Bruce Lee was like my my room was always like wall to wall Bruce Lee posters and Jean Claude Van Damme posters everywhere. Yes. So that I wanted to have like a little baby homage in my in my loft. So I got a bunch of original art and then my like seventies Bruce Lee poster <laughs> actually left. Yeah, That's I amazing. You got a, sorry, go ahead, Ron. No, I, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm about to, you know, move into some of the things that we've been talking about before you got here and. I don't know if I like if you've heard this phrase used around you before, but you you kind of come across as me or present to me as a, like an artist artist, like someone who is allowing their inside, which you described really well, the experience from your parents, the experience moving, you know, immigrating essentially. I mean, that's what it was, and and going inward. And that world, which sounds like it was rich because of the material, you know, the media that you consumed. And now it's pretty clear, like that's happening on the outside of you. Like you're, uh, yeah, I, I you're think living about that, that way. A lot, which is fun. I used to, this is a, such a stupid thing to say, but you know, in case he's listening, <laughs> I used to have a huge like man crush on, do you remember, uh, do you guys ever watch 20, 20, oh, so 21 Jump Street? Yes. Uh, Richard Grieco's character, who was only in one season, and then they gave him uh, his own show called Booker. I can't believe I even remember this. <laughs> he was this like handsome, kind of looking like the crow with his like floppy hair, and he was like buffed, and he had a motorcycle, and he had a, a fucking, you know, like a, a Mustang or something like that. And I would be like, oh my God, if, I, if only I could be a Richard Grieco. Finally. Oh, yeah. Like the finally the ladies would would perhaps talk to me because I was not <laughs> popular among the opposite sex for some time until like after college, um, and then I think I think maybe like four, four years ago I kind of I think I stopped in my tracks and started laughing because I, I looked in the mirror and I was like, put up, you know, <laughs> went to the gym for a number of years, have a bunch of tattoos, I have a motorcycle, <laughs> I, had a, I don't have a Mustang but I have like a turbocharged Mini Cooper and I was like, oh cool, so I just. I somehow manifested my all that Richard Rico energy. Yeah. So actually, I have a screenplay that I want to write, and he's a character, and I'm like, he's, I don't think he's doing much. I think there's a chance that I can, <laughs> I can just, you know, I've got lots of weird screenplay ideas lately, and they're they're very bizarre and niche, and huh. which I love bringing my shit to life via Kickstarter, but I I just don't have the confidence to do a feature film like the the documentary huh. was so difficult and time consuming and i although i can i can i can give you guys a a scoop such as it is it's not the greatest scoop yeah. in the world uh, today i actually uploaded the temple of art film to vimeo and it's i got a password on it and i'm actually gonna give it out to seven and a half years later to the backers oh yeah crazy. man we were just that's talking that. about like like how, how like where we could find it that's fucking so amazing I'll send you uh, i'll send you a link it's it's literally so 
uh, is a, a lot happened, but unfortunately, the, the gist of it is uh, Olga, my my partner, was in charge of the editing. So I was mm. doing all the filming. We both asked the questions, but the 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 kind of split the the work split was we 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 did all the interviews together, and I was the more behind the scenes camera, all that stuff. And then she was in charge of doing the final edit, and that's how we split things up. And she finished, she was about what, what felt like in 2016, two minutes away from finishing the film. It, it was mm -hmm. done. And then a, she had a huge amount of health problems crop up and it's a oh. little numinous. It's hard to, she's still kind of figuring it out and mm. doctors don't really know what's going on with her, oh. but it, it really made work really difficult for her. So, but we also had backers that were going, fuck you, we're coming at you with pitchforks and Reasonably so, it's been six years, seven years. You know, we, we yeah. launched in July of 2014 on my birthday. So we're coming in on eight years. So at the beginning of COVID, when it uh, turned out that, I, that there wasn't going to be much work coming my way, I took back all the footage and I made a, from scratch a completely new uh, uh, cut of the film. Oh, so sure. there are actually oh. two films. <laughs> wow. But also, wow. I got to, so now I know how to video edit. I never thought I'd have that skill set, but I learned how to video edit. I learned how to color grade because at that point we raised eighty grand. But uh, sadly, you know, and and no, it's not like anyone needs to know this, but uh, I'm like thirty five grand personally in the hole to bring this to fruition. Eighty grand was it got us a, a certain part of the way, and then the money ran out, mm. and I didn't want to stop, so I just kept going and putting my own money into it, and yeah. hopefully something will happen with it and maybe I'll get some of that anyway, whatever, but that's not the point. Dude, uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because we were talking about, and that's, that content feels as fresh as ever. Like that stuff I was really so, speaking I, to like, us. And we, and we, I got so many great people for yeah. me. Uh, the, the biggest issue is for me personally is I'm, I'm really good at the art hustle. I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm really good at taking the things that fall out of my head and, and making them into something. But then when it, but then step two, when it's like, you need someone who's good at marketing and promotion, mm -hmm. someone who can find the producer or the streaming service to take that up. I am terrible at that stuff. I'm like, I'm actual, I'm the absolute worst at it. So I always feel like it's hard for me to, I finish a thing. And so Kickstarter is great for me. Someone gives me a bunch of money and I make a book or I make a movie. I've made two comic books, but then I always feel like this, these things could have these these rich lives outside of the purview of crowdfunding and I can never seem to make it happen because that's mm. my weakness like I, my skill set in that regard is is pretty abysmal and it's never really changed I love making the thing but when mm. it comes to trying to sell the thing I I'm just like Ugh, I'll just go make something else and then I, that's what I usually do I'll just veer off and make a whole new thing and, and then leave, kind of leave that thing by the wayside so Temple of Art I'm doing my level best to try and change that narrative so I spent a year finished a completely new cut maybe the oldest cut will one day come out too i don't know um i'm kind of leaving that up to her because i, I really don't want to push uh why did you do a whole nother cut um it just felt it felt weird to take her film hmm. uh it feels like it was her vision for the film so uh, we talked about it and she just she was a, she was a little reluctant to let her cut go she can't i think oh. the main thing is she was like but i'm gonna finish but i'm gonna finish oh, any yeah. minute now things are gonna yeah. resolve and i'll have the the the, the space and the time to finish yeah. it you know and i hope she does i really do but i just didn't i felt like look i have this ocean of time in front of me 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I, there was no photography. There still really it hasn't really come back. I still kind of wonder if I have a job every now and then. Hmm. So I just started. I was like, okay, well, what are all the things that I've been wanting to do? Okay, well, fuck nice. it. It's just uh, there's yeah. we have 120 hours of footage. Uh, I can you could easily make two feet. You could make like 10 feature films out of all yeah. that shit that we have. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just take the footage that she didn't. Uh, you know, there's a few uh, overlaps where you know. Sometimes you got a Neil Gaiman and a Kevin Smith and they say something so good that you can't ignore it. But for the most part, I try to leave everything that she used alone. What? I, really? Yeah. And I just made my whole, a whole new That's thing. awesome, man. Um, but also she's more of an emotionally driven editor and I'm more tactical. I want, huh. like, I, I just want tactics to help people get out of creative blocks. So everyone, there've been about 12 people that have seen the film and my, it's my favorite uh, response is, um, it's, I don't get it, it's good or it's bad. I get, I need to turn this off now and I need to go make something. And I'm like, perfect, that's <laughs> yeah. all I wanted. So I've gotten yeah. a lot of people going like, you have to get this into schools. And I'm like, okay, you fucking tell me how and I will get yeah. it into the school. Yeah, Alan, it's, it's special. I, I fired it up uh, just because there's clips, you know, on YouTube. Yeah. <clears throat> and I found myself and I'm not, this is true. Like, cause we, 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 take in the content of who we're speaking with and sometimes it feels like work because you just gotta you gotta get exposed and i am an artist and your content the temple of art content on youtube there's probably uh i saw about 10 10 15 clips or so some of them 15 seconds some of them about five or six minutes but dude it is awesome it's excellent content i was telling uh, ron i think people artists defining art defining um, their process, uh, obviously talking about the challenges, the successes, but really getting in there, seeing their art, hearing them talk, you know, some of the people on there are like with, with a family member talk. I just, I felt like I was, Kevin Smith was just so, I don't know, he was just, he was just a dude and talking about how, I loved when he was talking about how he's not that great of a filmmaker, but he's really good at, um, what did he say? He's not, he's like, I'm not very good at doing, at making the films, but I'm really good at essentially hustling, I suppose. And um, it was just, it seemed like you're the film attacked, uh, attacked art and looked, or not attacked, but looked at art and being an artist from a lot of different angles. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was just the timing for me because I'm in a transition as an artist right now and horizons are expanding. It was just really helpful and also leveling with myself as an artist, which has been the most important thing to go on and just uh, to get really honest with myself in a lot of different ways. And your content, Temple Art, is excellent. I can't wait to to see the actual full film. And it's funny because I was like, well, I'm just going to go find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. I was like, this is definitely a me problem. I'm sure it exists. This morning, nope. It doesn't exist until this morning. And it's, but I'll, I'll send you guys as soon as we're done. You can have another conversation about it if you want. I'll send you guys. Hell a yeah. Link. Yes. And you can yeah. be the first, the first two people on the on the planet outside of my circle of friends to. I would love see that, the dude. If you are the best Yeah, that's. that's I, awesome, Alan, man. are you, you are you familiar with uh, Stephen Pressfield? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. War of art. The war of art is, is next tattered. to me have, at yeah, all I times. Have, I have a tattered <laughs> remnant war of art. It's it's been thumbed through. Yeah. Many, many times. Yeah, he's uh, he actually even I think David Mack actually mentioned it didn't make it into the film because it's a little too yeah, a little too inside. But he yeah. was like talking about the war of art. I'm like, I mean, that well, I mean, documentary in and of itself. what you're what you are trying what you're producing and, and have made like that's that message is is 
needed more than ever. Right? It, it, it always needs to be refreshed because there's, yeah. there's those of us, and I'm, I, I put my hand up in this crowd, that have an inkling that we might be a creative. And well, this is the film for you then, for sure. Yeah, all, yeah. What it's all, the, the entire film is about that. It's, it starts with tactics and process and then it ends yep. with like, well, who, you know, with the bigger questions, who is an artist or who isn't an artist and all yep. that kind of shit. And, well, and doesn't it, doesn't it also, the impression I got, sorry, I know you're in the middle of the room, just real quick. Um, do, isn't it that you take a, cause I just saw inspirational clips, but then I was reading about it and I was like, oh, there's more to this project. And it's like you, photograph all of these artists and then you give them prints and then they do art on top of it is that what it was uh that so that was a separate that's that was the genesis of the film that was the first project uh, i did a book with a, a publisher called baby tattoo where i photographed 57 oh. artists and they painted or drew on top of yeah. it while i would photograph them um the lead, I would say like the lead of the documentary is an, an art, the ultimate artist artist. No one, like not many people know who he is, but if you talk to, but he taught David Cho and all these like, you Whoa. know, Paul Pope, all these huge artists, a guy named Whoa. Baron Story, who's I think turning 80 this year. Oh, that guy is awesome. In those awesome. Films. And I, I, I get so him to watch the fucking film. I'm like, dude, this whole film is, you are the lead. You are <laughs> yeah. bigger than, than Neil yeah. Gaiman. <laughs> and Kevin yeah. Smith and he's but I haven't I, I'm only talking to his wife because he's he's also he's got you know he's 80 so he's going through yeah. a bunch of health problems himself and he she was like he doesn't want to watch it he thinks it'll make it'll make him sad and I'm like oh, oh. damn it it won't no, so I'm trying to no. actually I don't know how to do this yet but I've been uh noodling with calling the Egyptian theater I think it's like five or six grand to rent the theater out huh. yeah. and then doing like a tiny little kickstart of it's basically just tickets who wants to yeah. come to the premiere of Temple oh, yeah. Mark? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe the front row can be a little more expensive, but basically try and turn it so like Baron is the fucking guest of honor and I'll fly. Yes. Awesome. You know, yes. uh, like the stretch goal is flying Baron in and picking him up in a limousine or something. There's like this that. scene, uh, Ron, down, Ron, there's this scene in the in the film where <clears throat> maybe you saw the clip too, but uh, the airplane? Where, yeah, where he's yeah. throwing, he's writing and then he's throwing Dude, him fuck, off. Fuck, that was so good. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Was cool. Anyways, I'm yeah. sorry. I cut you off. No, that's good. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, so that's super exciting. Um, but also, I'm I, I'm excited. So there's that, and then uh, I the my next comic is almost done. The letter is working mm -hmm. on it, and then six days from now, I'm launching what is gonna I think be my final fine art nude book. I've done I've done two books, uh, three books actually, and two were for another publisher, and then my I did a tarot deck uh in 2019, and that was through my own, I started in uh, my own imprint because basically what I was learning was. I was just giving the publisher money for free when if I could just do it myself, I would yeah. actually do a lot better. And, and it turned out to be that way. But yeah, this is going to be my like fourth and final kind of fine art mm. nude project that I've been, it's been cooking for five years. So I'm really crossing my fingers that it does. Okay. Cause it's a beast. Like That's a, amazing. Yeah. 300 page book. Holy shit. Holy shit. Uh, what got you? What? I mean, so, you know, the, the, the podcast, well, maybe you don't know the, the name of this podcast is cutting for sign. And, and that's, a that's a hunter's phrase that essentially means to be very still mm -hmm. in the wild, looking for the clues for your next step, for the, for the footprint, for the drop of blood, for the bent twig. And it's mythical. It's mythological. One of the, one of my favorite quotes is a sting. I don't, don't know what it is anymore. Cause he was saying it on an interview, but it was sting, uh, mm. pairing creativity to hunting. Mm. You yeah. have to constantly change your environment and change the way you see things. And if you can't get work done 
in one place and go somewhere else and try to do it there. He's like, you have to just, you got to change your environment. You can't keep hunting the same spot. Mm. Over right. And I was like, oh, not only is that an amazing piece of like advice to hear, but I think that's probably what so many artists get stuck in when you yeah. see an artist looking whose work is the same 30 years later, which is fine too. Like you have your style and that's what you're good at. But I always wonder like, you, like, is there a point of diminishing returns if you keep hunting in the mm. same like Definitely. watering hole and you're, you, so what you, your output is kind of the same. It doesn't really move mm. or change too much. Um, Whereas I, uh, but I actually think that probably helps in a commercial aspect because people understand you and, and, and know what to expect. Whereas what I do photographically, I j jump around. I love, I investigate something here, investigate something there. I'll get really good at one thing. And then right as I feel like I've gotten to, like I, I just know it too well, I'll just stop and do something completely different. And I think that maybe keeps people a little too much on their toes hmm. on a commercial, from a commercial standpoint, because nobody really wants to see you doing lots of different things. Hmm. Uh, they want to see you doing the thing. Like this is the thing you, you do. So go You're to avoiding that. typecasting yourself. Sounds like I'm trying, but yeah, but it's, I, but I do find it interesting that there is a, there's a, there's an upside to, to me. It feels like there's a huge upside spiritually and creativity and a bit of a downside commercially because yeah. Uh, I do. I mean, you know, like I, I, I've made my living as a functioning artist and I've not had a desk except for the one that I set up for myself for 12 years now, which to me is a success story in and of itself. Huge success but, story. But I do feel like, you know, I'll do some like Miller Lite ad or something really huge and be like, oh, I'm here. I've arrived. And then like, I won't, I'll go without work for three months and be like, and I'm back. Fuck, damn it. <laughs> Who pushed me off the mountain? I thought I, I thought I was on the, I was on the summit and then it's like zip line straight back down. I got to Ah, uh, damn it! Climb back up, Ron. Is, why were you mentioned? Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, ask me a question. I was going to ask you why are you mentioning cutting for sun. Well, uh, I mean, I mean, I was going to ask him his process of this, but he just told me, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> like how you're finding your way. But, but but you know, on your on your point about the peaks peaks and valley experiences, um, I think of it made me think of Rembrandt's two versions of of um, the Prodigal Son. Mm -hmm. And the first one he wrote when he was like high and mighty as an artist, he was he was selling a lot of work to the, to the rich people and whatever city he was in Amsterdam, I believe. And and he was making good money and he was like living in revelry the whole time. And his prodigal son is the version. I don't know if you're familiar with the story sure. of the prodigal son, but it's the version of the prodigal son when he's like left the house and he's like living it up on his dad's inheritance. Yeah. And he's and he's got like a, a buxom woman on his knee and he's got a, like a drink in one hand. It's like spilling all over the place. Hmm. And then the second version was that he painted was when he had lost everything. Uh -huh. he, he had become destitute. And this was this painting was like one of his attempts to like just try to eat, which uh -huh. is the end of the story of the prodigal son, which is like him coming home like destitute and needing help. But the but the story of the prodigal is, is the dad saying, like, I've, I've missed you so bad i'm so glad to see you. i'm so glad that you're here and and hugging me. i think and i my, the reason i bring it up is it just seems to be in rembrandt and, and a, an artist who's really trying to follow their path that's the that's the pain you gotta like accept uh, i'm i'm a i'm a hopefully one day perhaps in 20 30 years writer if i if i keep working my craft mm -hmm. and i look at the people who i who i really respect in writing Cormac McCarthy being like the, the top of that, like, you know, and he talks about, you know, need like needing money for toothpaste and 
not having money for toothpaste, but then just trusting that it's going to come and a sample of toothpaste comes in a, in a direct mail marketer in the yeah. in his mailbox the next day. And do you send, do you have that kind of same kind of like trust? Uh, almost all the time. Yeah. But yeah. I think, but, but I think it has to be almost all the time. If I said all the time, I, I, I don't know. I feel like then maybe creativity would be coming like too much of a religion. Um, huh. But most of the time I feel like I'm going to get, if I do the work, so my little uh, mantra, I guess, you know, for myself that I, that I kind of repeat ad nauseum in my own head is like, and I, I actually, I have, there's a sort of a book that I want to do with this, but I, it's good. Uh, yeah. The idea of like trying to do a nonfiction book after trying to do a documentary, after trying to do a photo, <laughs> I feel like maybe I'm I, I, like, my, is my talent the equal of my ambition? The, mm. you know, patent mm. itself. But uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, uh, I, I, the thing that I kind of repeat to myself is my job uh, is to sit down and do the work, whatever the work is. Uh, I write now, I've like, you know, whether it's writing, uh, working on a screenplay, working on a photography book, doing something commercial for a client. Like my job is to do the work. My job is not to fit into the zeitgeist and fit into fashion and be a success and make a million dollars. That's somebody else's job. That's somebody else going, Hey, I have a million dollars. I want to buy, I want to buy this thing that you made or whatever it is. You can't really control that. You can't, I, I, I find it extremely frustrating because I used to have these conversations with other people with a uh, collaborators trying where they were trying to figure out how to make what we were working on viral and I would always be like oh, yeah. you can't you literally can't mm. you could hire a PR company that specializes in that kind of shit for some fake viral nonsense and pay them 20 grand a month but that's not viral that's just they have a, a huge mailing list of people it's like a fake thing otherwise you just it just it's gonna it's gonna capture the the, the public imagination or it isn't, but that's your job. That's not your job as an artist. Your job as an artist is to express yourself and and produce, and mo and most importantly, in my opinion, to finish. Mm. Don't like starting. Starting is relatively difficult. Finishing feels sometimes feels next to impossible. You just have to keep going until yeah. you finish. But then don't finish and go. Okay, like I've, as an example, I finished two feature length screenplays over COVID. I have no idea what to do with either of these things, but I finished two hundred page stories and that, which is very exciting in and of itself. And so I have other, I was like, well, maybe I could adapt one, turn one into a kind of a weird novel. If I just, in my head, I'm like, all I do is fill in the gaps. <laughs> and then, yeah, simple and as that. Nowhere near, it's nowhere near that easy, but you know, or maybe turn it into a comic script that I could then throw on Kickstarter. So some like thoughts and opportunities and and pathways will appear to you, I think, once the thing is done. But if you go into it going, okay, I'm two pages into a screenplay and I can't wait to sell it to Lionsgate, you're fucked. Like, yeah. you're, you're fucking yourself big time. A, that's a next to him. Like, Guillermo del Toro can't get, like, three out of his four projects off and running. That, like, making a movie is indescribably difficult. For even the most successful and famous and, and talented of us. So if you go into it going, well, you know, if I can't get this film made by Lionsgate starring fucking Johnny Depp or whatever, you're just fucking yourself so big. The goal is to express. So yeah. So write the story, figure out whatever medium. Uh, Dave McKean, is, he's amazing in 
film and Temple of Art. But he talks a lot about like, he does so many different things and he does them all so well. He's a real piece of shit. Um, <laughs> but he's like, you know, you find the right, I, I, I think about this a lot. Like, and I, and I talk, for me, I feel like I, sometimes I'm just a Temple of Art parrot. I'm like a parrot that's sitting on, <laughs> on the film that I made. It's a good thing to parrot. Yeah, uh, but it's, he's like, you find the right toolkit, the little box to express what you're thinking. And sometimes it's a short story. Mm. Sometimes it's a piece of music. Sometimes it's a feature length film. Sometimes it's a, a painting. I mean, granted, he has a lot of these skill sets, but you know, he worked to get them. But I love that idea because that's what I've been finding myself doing in my, as I've going into my mid forties is I used to think like, I'm a photographer and I'm happy with that. And that's all I ever wanted to be. And that lasted from like 32 to 44. And then right around there, I started to go, wow, I have these like stories in my head and I can't, I don't know how to photograph them. They're, you know, they're just weird. They're almost always horror stories and strange like myth, like there's a lot of myth and religion. And I finally was just like, well, fucking I'll try and write a comic. How hard could it be? And that to me, I think is like the, the, the most, like the biggest piece of wisdom you could impart to a, uh, an artist of any of any age and any experience is like the idea of like, how hard could it be? Fuck it. Other people, people do it all the time. Yeah. Don't worry about if it's good. Just, just write it. And the odds are the first thing that you do is going to be fucking awful. <laughs> and the second, like my first, yeah. which I can't believe my first comic I actually made on Kickstarter, but it took me two and a half years to write a 60 page comic. Hmm. My next comic, I wrote a 65 page comic in two and a half months. So that is hmm. so fun. Like, but you, you don't, you don't see that result until yeah. you start producing and start making. And I can also look back at, at the first comic that is that's coming out in like two months. And I feel like I've become a better, I, I had to rewrite a lot of that. I was like, oh, this dialogue is really bad. Okay, I got to, so I ended up finding myself rewriting a lot of it mm -hmm. because you, I become a better storyteller, not because I touched the sacred stone like under the mountain, but because I sat at my desk for two hours a day for like, two hours a day, four days a week, and just wrote. And well, plus another thing that it sounds like you have, I was thinking about this in the shower this morning, like <clears throat> an artist, what is something that an artist, what, what, it, what makes an artist? Um, nebulous question, but I had this experience one time where this musician friend of mine, he saw me doing a lot of painting. And so he picked up and he bought himself a little sketchbook. And I was so impressed and surprised because I'd never heard him express any interest in doing anything visual. Mm -hmm. And he just started doing a comic a day. And he was, his inner world, there wasn't a lot separating him from his ideas. You know, there wasn't a lot of filter and there was enough skill, just natural skill for him to clearly communicate what was on the inside yeah. the ideas were good and it made the his skill level not matter it almost made his skill level charming mm -hmm. because the ideas were expressed so uh authentically and without filter and clearly that the that that was the primary experience is that you got to feel his ex and he has a vital alive interesting mm. inner world and so we got to i got to touch and see his inner world and it didn't even matter the skill level because i felt his inner world mm. and i was thinking in the shower this morning i was mm. like fuck you know i personally have a really alive inner world and i experience it through emotions thoughts dreams and sometimes through art but i have a lot of bullshit that separates me from that inner world and that's not a complaint or an excuse yeah. 
it's more of an opportunity of, okay, I bet I know there's a lot of people who have that. And then they'll say they're not creative or they'll all this other stuff. Yeah. But the truth is, is there's a whole adventure that that's the beginning of where you get to break that down and you get to go in and you start to communicate that inner and outer world and individuate a little bit. I was curious. It sounds like you don't have a lot separating you from your inner world, but maybe you could speak a little bit to that. Uh, no, I don't. I just try to, I, as of late, I just try to find the best way. Uh, I, I'm trying, I feel like I'm trying to communicate multiple things at the same time. The, my favorite thing, honestly, I've even thought about doing a, I'm trying to do a podcast about it, but I love talking about like, I'm kind of an avid biohacker physically. I love, yeah. I love Tim Ferriss and all those guys. But I, but I thought like, there's no one out there hacking. Oh, there's a lot of people actually, that's a lie. But I don't, but I love the idea of hacking creativity, okay. not in this kind of numinous Tony Robbins, here are the four points to yeah. meow, meow, meow. But that, that shit has a place, but yeah. like really tactically going in there and going, no, listen to, which is what the film was all about. Listen yeah. to her, you can listen to a writer and he will give you insight into the painting that you're doing. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton has an amazing part where he was like, if you don't want to write, my advice to you is write anyway. Like if you're a filmmaker, an actor, a banjo player, if you, uh, what's it, his quote is so good. Uh, if you write, you discover who you are and what you have to say. And I think that is the most important thing. Like, what do you have to say? Think about that first and don't, the moment you bring money or fame into the equation, you're fucked. So stop stop with but that's i think the narrative that i wish we could change because i never i always wanted to write and i don't know if you've had this experience as a you said you're you've been you know you hope to be a writer in 30 years fuck that you're a writer now like that's the yeah, that's i was gonna the, ask you about that's that, the absolute Ronald. that's the honest truth you're a writer now yeah i think the narrative is and this was the thing that kept me from writing was i would write a page of something some kind of idea or a short story you know the beginning of something and i would look at it and go well, this sounds nothing like Stephen King and I would fucking roll it into a ball and throw it in the fucking trash. And mm. I wouldn't, and then I would be so disheartened that I wasn't Stephen King, the greatest writer in the history of the universe, in my opinion, that I wouldn't write. And it, at some point, and it was actually yeah. the film and Neil Gaiman specifically, I actually, mm. he, he's in the acknowledgements of my first comic where he, uh, he does it in, it's, it's how the film ends, how Temple of Art ends, but he's like, writing is bricklaying. Every, you yeah. have this romantic idea of what a writer is and you have, and you read some of the best writers in the world and then you get pissed that you want, well, they, they spent, you know, Stephen King spent like, he would write four hours a day after a full day of work at a high school, smashed between his washer and his dryer in this tiny little desk and the fucking, and his heat was off because he couldn't afford the heat bill. Yeah. Neil had the same experience. He was trying to, he had to query an electricity bill because they were going to turn up his electricity in winter. So all of these famous people are probably had it a lot worse than we do now. Yeah. But all we see is the end result. And I think yeah. that's so tricky. Like, I wish yeah. that's the thing that I want to demystify more than anything else. Yeah. Stop looking at the fucking end result because you have no idea what went into that. You have no idea how long that person edited that film I've like, look, we've just, I've just spent eight years on a tiny little Kickstarter documentary. It's a very small, you know, by two people, like the, the, our, the credits are the stupidest thing you've ever seen. It's like two motherfucking people, like sound designer, sound engineer. The only, <laughs> the only person I hired was a composer because I couldn't figure out how to write music. But everything, it's like Alan Amato, Olga Nunes, Alan Amato, Olga Nunes, <laughs> the whole credit scheme. It's, it's, it's so dumb. Like, you don't even really it. was kind of fun for me to make. So I could actually reflect on how many new skill sets I had to, like, learn mm. to get this thing off the ground. But 
yeah, like don't worry about the end result. If you want to be a writer, you're then you're a writer. So you tell yourself that every morning, and then you but but then you you don't stop there. Sit down for for an you know half an hour a day, an hour a day. Yeah. My my ideal is two hours a day, because after that you get to that point of diminishing returns, and just hmm. think of something to fucking write. And the weird thing is, you'll look back and be like, oh, you know, I've had this experience so many times, and it's one of my favorites. I'll pick something up that I that I wrote two years ago, go and go, who the fuck did this? Oh shit, it's me. Yeah. Hey, some of this sucks, but this, this sentence right here is actually fucking really dope. And then I'll, I'll think about like, well, how can I make the sentences around that a little bit better? And that's when you realize, ah, I've moved because you've, I've laid those bricks because I, I put the mortar down and I'm just putting brick, like the wall has been fucking built. Yeah. And no, but the problem is I think we have this idea that people are gonna come and build it for you. People are going to come and like, like hold your bricks while you fucking lay the mortar. No, you like most of the time, this is a creativity in, in general, the, the, the creative discipline at, you know, all the disciplines and, and more specifically like making money at those disciplines. Yeah. It's a really thankless chore. We don't yeah. get, uh, we don't get our paycheck every two weeks. We don't get fucking health insurance. We don't get any of that stuff. We have to, we just, but I think for most artists that that pursue it full time, you your need to express outweighs your need for the creature comforts of, mm. you know, for lack of a better term, what like traditional society expects, like yeah. the white picket fence and property ownership, and you got the money in the bank, and you have your four hundred one k, like all this, you know, which all my friends who have like fucking paycheck jobs, they have all that stuff, and they're like, how's your four hundred one k? And I'm like. I, I don't know. Like I, I was thinking about naming my cat 401k and then had <laughs> one, but like, that's it. There's no, I don't know what you're talking about. Cause I'm, you know, I'm too, most of the time I'm just trying to, I'm too busy trying to figure out how to get the next thing that I want to express off the ground. And I've been lucky enough to, you know, kind of like make a living for better or for worse doing it. But I think yeah. the the moment I start to go, well, how, how can I do this and be a millionaire at the same time? I'm just going to be fucked. And yeah. I think a lot of people are, that's the that's the experience. If you if you're, how can I be Stephen King? How can I be a millionaire? You're fucked, fucked, fucked. Don't like, let yourself off the hook. You're you're basically you know it feels like it's opening the door to Dante's Inferno at that point where you're you're willingly stepping into the gates, stepping through the gates of hell. Like mm. just think about what you want to express and what you want to say. You don't have to quit your job. You you know if you have a job like it's good. You you want to put food on the table and all that, but it doesn't mean you can't express yourself. You just have to like find those pockets of time to to bricklay to like you know yeah, yeah. art is funny like that too i'm sure you've had this experience tons <clears throat> and you too ron i noticed that time gets a little fucky when i sit down particularly around painting because mm. i used to be hung up on needing hours and hours to uh m knowing i had hours and hours then i would paint and as time went on, I would just have, I'd started to collect these experiences where I would end up only having 20 minutes or I would be 20 minutes in and realize and be like, Jesus Christ, I've gotten so much done and it's only been 20 minutes. And I feel like I'm in a totally different place. I almost could just put the brush down for the day. Cause I feel that satisfied, mm -hmm. but I, I was like avoiding painting for years because I didn't have these big blocks of time. Yeah. 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 Same. I, I, <clears throat> I picked up the my typewriter for lack of a better term back up again two years ago as an exercise of what how could I how could I love myself and parent myself in a way that I didn't get as a kid. Mm. And and it was 
let's let's start with um, a thirty minute attempt at writing a sentence, and then it was, oh, this, I got a thousand words down. How the hell did I do that? And to your point earlier, like maybe I get one or two sentences that are really good out of that that I'm yeah. like pretty proud of. Um, but br- the bricklaying has has netted at like ninety thousand words since I started doing that. Yeah. Now and we're also, getting. Yeah, and another thing is again, fucking I hate this is in the film too, but like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes you'll sit and bang your head against the wall and that's totally. okay too. Yeah. that's that 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 has to be okay as well you're, you're not going to sit down and get into the flow state every day and be like oh yeah. my god i just wrote four thousand words and I, i'd only sat down to write 400 sometimes you'll write zero or you'll write a bunch of garbage but that's okay well, too like, and what's also experiences what's also crazy about that i've had this experience several times and it It's one of the most amazing creative experiences I've had. And I'm curious if you've, because you're, you, you've written, it sounds like you're like a pretty accomplished writer. Um, at least in your practice, like you can sit down and write a couple. I sit down, I, I write a bunch of stuff. Yeah. For me, it's uh, so like, so I want you to get back to your point as soon as yeah. possible. But for me, it's more, I, I, I love writing. It's just a, it's a funny thing. Like the only thing I can think of it, in terms of, the the art of writing where you could just do it and and ship it out and cross your fingers is a novel which to me is like the hardest fucking thing yeah. so the one thing i haven't been able to do i've written comic scripts and screenplays and short stories but that's you can't really like i've tried to like where do you submit a screenplay the answer is you could just like you could do competitions and shit like that you mm-hmm. you can submit uh comic scripts to dark horse and i guarantee you like i know people in dark horse and i still have gotten no response And I'm like, I know motherfuckers who work in that building. And I still like, that's why I eventually was like, fuck it, I'm kickstarting it. I don't care. I got it. I want to make it. So it's a, that, that to me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. it's always so tough because when you say you're an accomplished writer in my head, I think, yeah, but I've only published two comics under my own imprint and that doesn't, but actually that is a huge, so I'm also, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be my worst enemy too, because yeah. It's all about what your idea of success is. And I think if your idea of success is I finished this thing, then like you've got a lot of it. You'll, you'll have a much easier time as a creative in the world. Yeah, you I think went, that. Well, oh, success means I have to be published by HarperCollins. Well, oof, they'd like that's a that that's something you might want to eventually find yourself doing. But if you, you know, it might. I don't want to say don't aspire to it, but if that's the only thing that is your measure of success, you're probably going to be a, a pretty unhappy person, regardless of whether you're a good writer or not. Yeah. And like, I think an accomplished writer is someone who's finishing projects. You know, I, I don't think of it as much anymore as to be honest, even the quality of that stuff, because the experience of writing something terrible can, can for the writer still be divine like it can be yeah, a great yeah. experience it's and so expressing it's just that totally yeah. getting other people to respond to what you're expressing that's where if you aren't careful that's kind of where i feel like that's where the doom lies like when you know <laughs> i sent fucking bless i neil's a very busy man i sent him the documentary to watch on dropbox like four uh-huh. months ago and that 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 link has has been has remained unclicked yeah. and in my head i'm like the The man has so much pressing on the limited amount of time that he has. This is not a surprise to me, but of course there's still like the little kid in me. That's like, watch you, movie. man, come on, watch my thing. Watch it. I work so hard. It's an, only an hour and a half of your day. You son of a bitch. But you know, like that's that little kid in me. That's like, you know, 
pay attention, pay attention, watch me. And the reality is you, you aren't in control of that. You just have to make your thing. Yeah. And then, but like you, then once it's made, you can go, okay, well shit. What if I rented the Egyptian theater and just had my own premiere and fuck like going to a, you know, hopefully we'll, maybe I'll get into some, I don't know how to do festivals or any of that shit yet. I got to learn, but like, why wait? I don't know. I didn't wait for for a production company to make my film. I just made it myself. So yeah. maybe I'll just have my own premiere and fuck y'all. <laughs> like yeah, I you had so many amazing names too. I, I, did you? I'm curious what Kevin Smith uh, had thought about it and has he watched it? Uh, he hasn't clicked on the link. Like no one is. Yeah. So I've sent I sent it to Kevin, Neil, and Amanda because I have relationships with all three of them. Yeah. I'll, you know what? I'm going to try send it to Grant now that you, you brought Grant up and he just messaged me today for, look, asking for a photo. So I might just, he's not going nice. to watch it, the motherfucker, but, but <laughs> maybe, but you know, it's worth a try. But the, the annoying thing is, even though I have relationships with these people, they're also the, the busiest people on the planet. Right. Sure. And totally I'm asking yeah. them to sit down for an hour. I mean, it's, at least it's not a novel, right? Read my novel. But like, you know, it's, it's an hour and a half of time and I, I just can't control whether, like how interested they are in it. Because for me, I'm like, you guys should be drop everything you're doing now and watch my film because it's awesome and you'll like it and you're in it. Like, yeah. I don't understand, but the you reality, took the hours to, to, yeah, to make it. <laughs> they, got others, they got shit to do. So I, I feel like, okay, well, if I, if I have a, a premiere, then I can be like, here's a date, it, you know, it, it creates yeah. uh, value, but also pressure. I think there's the idea that it's precious. It's going to go away. It's only this, this one time only kind of a thing. But then also maybe if I have a date and a thing, I could try and hustle those motherfuckers to actually yeah. show up to it, and yeah. then it would be more of a success. But, but yeah, it's, a, it's that's a that's such a tricky thing. Like, you want to, on the one hand, you're always at least for me as a as a working artist, you're always trying to express and produce and finish, and then there's always that like, okay, well what the fuck happens next then are you are any yeah. of these films going to be made or any of these God, at least you published? have a product though that's got to be exactly and that's yeah uh you know i think if that's the thing if you can manage just finishing and knowing that you've said what you're going to say you, like that is your success and i appreciate that on an intellectual level yeah but on an, a purely an emotional level i that it still doesn't feel real to me yet i wish it did i think i would just i would i'd would, I would be fulfilled all the time i would be you know i, I would be like the oreo cookie center of fulfillment just quite <laughs> uh if i could kind of really if, if i could experience that on an emotional i sometimes do like every once in a while but most of the time i'm just like ah, i have I, I haven't done enough i like no one's gonna make this film no one's gonna or no one's going to make this comic unless I make this comic. And then I feel like it's somehow lesser than because Dark Horse mm. didn't make it. My imprint made it. I'm like, no, Dark Horse is just somebody else's thing that they made. Yeah. And they yeah. figured it out. <clears throat> Absolutely. So, ah, that's such a, but I mean, you know, I also like that, that I feel like that tension is kind of what gets me out of bed in the morning too. So I also, I understand and I respect the tension as well. I don't go, ah, I wish I could just be happy all the time because the truth is, I think if you're happy all the time, you would end up as like be like a fucking trust fund kid who doesn't make shit because he doesn't have to because you got you know ten million dollars in the bank. Yes, like, you need you to know? have some of that. Te- like the some of those those great artists still have that tension today. Like you know, Dave. When you hear Dave McKean and Ben Folds talking about like how they're never going to make another album or or paint another painting, it makes you feel really good as a fellow sufferer. That shit, I you know, I feel I go through that all the time. And the reality is that's you're never growing out of that. It's never going to be a time where you're like, ah, I've, you know, the eagle has landed. I'm fine. Everything's great. It's going to work out now. 
Hmm. You know, Alan, I know we're up against our time limit here, uh, but before we, I got one more question. I was yeah, curious, Ron, if you have a, if you have another, if you have something. Yeah, I've got, I, I mean, I, I mean, just selfishly, dude, uh, Alan, I, I can't wait to see that film in my mind. I, I keep imagining it like a masterclass and, and I keep seeing you like breaking down scenes and breaking down lessons and think mm -hmm. that would be invaluable. I think people would pay plenty of money to, to take that masterclass. Right, but if I send you the link and you don't watch it, I'm going to shave your mustache. Off. <laughs> <laughs> then that I will the reduce it your ass. Like it. <laughs> I, I, I want to see a comment under the Vimeo. Under the Vimeo. Hell yeah, man. That's a, that's a, uh, I'm looking forward to, I'm, I can't get enough of this stuff. Cause you're, you're talking to, right now. You're talking to parts of me that need to hear this stuff. And, and I, I came yeah. at like, I'm in the entryway of my three bedroom apartment in downtown Portland. And on this wall is my, is my novel, like a, like a, what do they call them? Perk charts. Chart, like, yeah. yeah. You know, lines going everywhere, pictures of, of bad guys and worse bad guys and good guys. And, and, and I, I have a deadline coming up this fall for something for my whole family. And I'm like, this, this can't be here at that point. Like this <laughs> thing's gotta be landed. I gotta land this bird. And, yeah. and. And I, I every day ask the universe for encouragement. I literally say something like that. Like, hey, I'm, I've got this thing going. Universe, give me a sign. And here it is. <laughs> so thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing all this with us. And sure. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. And that's I'm the way I made it. I, honestly, like the, the funny thing is, which I think why I, I really want Neil and Amanda and Kevin to see this too. The reason I made this is for me. Yeah, I think that some some of the best art does get made, or at least because yeah. for me, regardless of whether you like the film or not, this is by far the biggest thing I've ever done by mm. orders of magnitude. It was harder mm. than any book I've ever done, than anything I've ever written. It was a real yeah. labor of love, uh, in you know, in the in the liter in the most literal way possible. But also, I made it for me. I I watched this film on like periodically just to give myself mm. the motivation yeah. to pursue something still. Like I have, I think I've, I mean, obviously I've watched it because I've been editing it, but like something about 30, 40 times now, but sometimes I just watch a little piece of it. I'm just like, ah, oh, I just want to hear Billy Bob say that one thing. Okay. Well, let me go. Let me well go. Alan, last night it motivated me to have an art session that if I had not watched those clips, I wouldn't have, like I, I do art and I do it consistently and I have less and less hangups around procrastinating. And I know how to finish pieces now too. And, you know, I know how to sell and I'm, I'm in a good place at the same time. There's still art sessions that are left, you know, on the court, you might say. And last yeah. night I was down. I had a good day. I was relaxing. I wanted to do a little prep for this. Got into the temple of art stuff and smash cut 30 minutes later, I had a two or three hour painting session and made exponential gains on this piece and had a fucking blast, you know, till midnight and, and had trouble going to sleep because I was fired up. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's a functional piece. A hundred percent. I hope so. I think for me, the, 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 the best thing that I'd like that I could wish from this other than maybe like getting it on, you know, Netflix or Amazon prime would be trying to figure out how to get this into schools, because I think, yeah, kids like 12 to 15 that time period that I had such a difficult time and if there was something because what you hear I don't know shit I mean honestly I don't know if it's true anymore but I'll bet you it is unfortunately maybe a little bit less so but when I was 12 like 12 let's say 12 to 18 probably you guys too all you hear is well that art thing is cute but that's your plan you need a that's your plan b what's your plan a you need to yeah. have something that to fall back on because this is not going to work. And I, I bought into that until 
I, until Katrina, until I was 32. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not happy with plan A. Like, like, why do I keep putting off plan B? Uh, and then when you watch the film, it ends with Neil going, I had no plan B. I was mm -hmm. either going to starve or be a writer. And that's how you become, honestly, I feel like when people are like, yeah, but you're Neil, Neil Gaiman. I'm like, that's how you become a motherfucking Neil Gaiman. That's, yeah. you've got to grow a pair of balls the size of the fucking, you know, size of Florida and be like, okay, well, I'm either, this is my plan A. Um, and yeah, so that, I think getting to tell kids in that age group, like, no, you nice. can make a fucking living doing this. There are a lot of different ways, you know, maybe yeah. instead of being a filmmaker, you'll be a color grader or an editor first and then, yeah. be a film, you know, totally. or a cinematographer. There's so many ways to express and so many ways that you can make money doing it. It's uh, and so many people out there that are fascinated by artists, you know, and they, they have money. I've noticed there's a lot of people out there who have not gone into opened up their creative world as, or at least as much, but that has created this desire to support artists. And there's so many, you know, from uh, residencies to grants to just people that if they hear about, it, they want to throw money or attention or support at you. You know, I yeah. feel like there's a lot more out there from free grad school, you know, with tuition waivers, like, I just feel like there's a will, there's a way probably more than ever right now. Yeah. And you have these amazing things like crowdfunding where you can actually just have yeah. right. an idea, like fall out of your head and just pick it up and ask people to support it. And, you know, obviously you, de you, you definitely want to make sure you have a lot of, uh, a lot of the work done, but that shit didn't exist until, you know, eight, nine years mm -hmm. or whatever, 10 years ago, which that's yeah. like mm -hmm. the most amazing renaissance in wow. creativity and art making when you don't have to look for a Medici, you don't have to look for this multimillionaire yeah. or corporation or company yeah. to give you work. Instead, you just ask, I love that Kevin Kelly, uh, I think about it all the time, a thousand true fans. Mm -hmm. All you need yeah. are a thousand people to go, whatever you do, whatever falls out of your head, I'm going to fucking buy it. A little $20 comic book, $50 art book, $10 movie, whatever it is. And I have, every time I do a Kickstarter project, I have 900 to 1300 people. And I've never gone beyond that, but also I'm like, which would be nice. I mean, of course we all want to be more successful, but I love the idea that he has this very specific thousand true fans. And apparently I have the exact <laughs> number. I have like 900 to 1300 people that mm. seem to just kind of, you know, that are just interested in what I'm doing. And they'll, they'll be to a greater extent, like the tarot deck, you know, there were 1300. And then for the comic book, they were like 750. So mm. it'll always be a greater or lesser extent, but the mm. reality is I've managed to like get everything that I've, worked on kind of made to one extent or another and so i love that idea like don't worry about you know having four million followers on fucking twitter or whatever you just need like a thousand people to be like hey you know i like what you're what you're putting out i like what you're expressing but in order to get to that point you have to you have to do all that work you have to no one's gonna buy an art book from me if i didn't have a single picture up on instagram instead i have like a fucking million photos. <laughs> yeah. I have more like more photos than I do have fucking skin cells. You know, it's everywhere. If there was a way to monetize it, I would be a gazillionaire. I have so many photographs. Um, but yeah, so it's hey, last kind of question as sure. a little bit of a pivot. I just, you got a nice piano there in the background. Do you play? Um, I can I can play blues chords, and that's about it. But it's yeah. one of my <laughs> seventy aspirations. Is I know you know. 
you can learn practically anything online now. So my two things that I want to do are I want to take an online piano course and I want to actually take an online painting course. I think my, I was going to do it in January and I got fucking COVID and it set me off a little bit, but I want to, I just want to go to Blick and buy a, like two canvases, some paints and, uh, and an easel and whatever, just like go there with 500 bucks and buy some crap. I've always wanted to, I paint yeah. and I've kind of, I dabbled once or twice and then I, I was like, eh, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. But I love the idea of having, uh, I feel like every every methodology of expression feeds into itself. So I, I love the idea of like, Definitely. okay, I'm a little bit stuck on my screenplay. Maybe yeah. I'll go and try and paint the character because I can't, I could do that as a photographer, but I have to, that's, it's like what Kevin Smith says. He's like, I went into filmmaking, which is the worst art form in the world because you say shit like, I want to express myself. Give me $20 million in Ben Affleck. Exactly. <laughs> and um, a bunch of people and I need a bunch of gear. And right, but photography to a slightly lesser extent, I'd be like, oh, I could, I do, I want to photograph this character in my screenplay. Okay, well, I have to get a model. I have to make, I have to pay the model, set that up, get hair and makeup. It's a process and I got, and I got to book it out like two weeks in advance. So I kind you know, of love the a- idea of that instant gratification of like, oh, fuck it. Let me try and maybe get just paint. I don't want to be a painter, but I want to maybe get good enough to where I can. No, it's a good call. It's almost like now I, now that you say that it's like painting and drawing is halfway in between those other visual mediums and writing, you know, because you can just sit down and go straight out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You mentioned, um, uh, well, first, uh, if you haven't seen them, the Jim Carrey and the Johnny Depp, six seven minute little documentary videos where both of them have very alive painting lives and i saw the uh, jim carrey one it's called i needed color i saw Um, awesome yeah four or five years ago but johnny depp has one too it's almost the same thing i don't know if you've seen it but i'm gonna gonna google it as soon as we get off dude he's even more into it because he he's actually a legit artist. Um, and sorry, that sounds disrespectful to Jim Carrey, but Jim Carrey was like, fuck it. I need to do this. And he did it. And that is legit. But, uh, Johnny Depp's been painting for a long, long time. And he was embarrassed because he didn't want to, he didn't want to, uh, disrespect what he calls like real artists or real painters. But then one day he realized he is a real painter and he's got this incredible body of work, man. It's awesome. I I own one. I, I don't know that I'll ever meet the motherfucker, but, um, I almost got to shoot him once and it fell through, sadly. But mm. he, when we had this Temple of Art show for the book, so when, when the, before the book came out, we had a gallery show at La Luz de Jesus. It was really great. It was like my, my definitely uh, an, a nice ego pat on the back. But I, uh, there were 55 pieces and in order, this is typically how I streamline things. I'm like, okay, everyone's waffling. I have the pieces, but nobody wants to pay the money to frame them. I just go, fuck it, I'll do it. And so I just, went to my framer, brought the pieces and was like, cool, here's the, here are the pieces for the show, just, you know, glass and black, that'll be fine. And I went off merrily on my way going, I solved the problem. And then I got a bill for $10,000. And I was like, <laughs> like, so going into a gallery show, $10,000 in the hole, I was really annoyed at myself. And we sold exactly $10,000 oh worth God, of work. Man. So I broke even, but which is fine. Like, you don't, you know, yeah. it would have been nice to make money, but I feel like that's my, that's like a constant refrain. I'm like, would have been nice too, but, but, it, but it, the thing happened and we, it was an amazing experience and we had the show for a month, but Johnny fucking Depp is the reason he kind of saved my ass. He bought the most expensive piece in the show. 
Whoa. I don't think it was him directly. Probably is one of his, his like art buyer or something. Yeah, yeah. But all I heard from the gallery, the, the curator was like, hey, Johnny Depp bought uh, the Jason Sean Alexander piece. And I was like, that the $8,000 one? He's like, yep. And my Whoa. my take was 30%. So that was like three grand. And then all the other pieces were like, you know, 400 bucks. So my take would be 400 yeah. bucks, 500 bucks. But that three grand like bumped me up to where I broke even on the show and didn't actually lose money. Did you say that you had heard that he painted and that you have a piece? Is, is that what you said? Did I no, that? no, he bought a piece. He bought one. No, of I, I get what the story you yeah. just said, but before. No, I didn't know he painted. No, I had no idea. Oh, okay. Picture, actually, so I'm gonna no, I'm gonna be like no. As soon as we get off, I'm gonna Google. It. Oh, dude, it's awesome! It's awesome. Hey, uh, also funny thing, I've never said this on the podcast, but it's I I set my computer up at my piano, like I'm sitting oh. at my piano right now, and um and uh the thing that I do on piano. And I play every day is blues chords, man. <laughs> the only so, thing I know how to do, but I got to, I got to do something else at some point. But yeah, definitely. This, I bought it for, it was a prop for a, a Benfold shoot. Really fun shoot where we, uh, huh, cool. Built a Love Benfold. He was punching, uh, he was boxing the piano and then he, he ended up not using it for the cover you know, and for like the interior sleeve. And I was like, ah, and I, I thought it was so much cooler than the cover that he used. It was just, a, mm. it was like a painting of his head. And then the interior was this epic, you know, I had like, there was a whole orchestra in the background, but they were like screaming and yelling, leaning over the boxing ring, like throwing instruments at him. And he had boxing gloves on and was like punching. That's pretty awesome. And then I kept the piano. <laughs> you know, last goddamn, it, you keep saying things that are triggering fun shit. There's a Dali painting. I forgot what it's called, but it's essentially him being, it's a, it's like two cabinets attacking a bed. And he, so he animated these cabinets and then animated a bed and then they're clashing. And I want to do a painting someday uh, that is uh, a piano doing the same thing, like a piano coming alive and basically like attacking something. And I, I did a bunch of sketches and thumbnails for it, actually. And that, that little shoot reminds me of that totally. Oh, cool. Anyways, hey, man. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. You're such oh, a, a live person. Yeah, really. Can't wait to it. watch. Can't wait to watch the film, man. Yeah, You're gonna see right a, a watched link and a comment <laughs> and that shit, and then we're gonna <laughs> we force you to back on. And as soon as we so sign it. off, because yeah, today's the day I'm, I'm announcing on Kickstarter. You guys never thought it would happen, but it has. Eight years That's later, awesome. the film. When do you done. think that premiere is gonna be at the Egyptian? I don't know. Well, so right now the film is 99% done. It still has to be mastered properly and the composer still has to go through and fix a little a few things here and there and there's a couple of audio uh just pings so mm. it's not it's not at a hundred percent yet but it's definitely it's not anything anyone would notice only i notice it and the composer noticed it yeah so it's we're still going through but then but then i have to master it and i don't like it's so funny like i know who the fuck even like uses DVDs anymore, but a bunch of people bought DVDs. So I have to go and kind of ask everyone, <laughs> hey, do you, can you, do you really want the DVD? You, <laughs> exactly. I'll make them, but like, yeah, I'm so, I'm 35 grand in the hole. I don't really want to spend two grand burning a hundred, but then maybe I should, and then I'll just have them and I can give them away and stuff. Yeah, so. Dude, I don't remember uh, the last time I saw a DVD player. <laughs> I know, so that's my next step is like, what can... Uh, I'm, I'm going to do a password protected on Vimeo because yeah. I feel like that that has the the lowest chance of compromising selling the film because ultimately, of course, that's what I want to do. Yeah. But also, if I don't give it, if I try and sell the film and not give it to people, like my soul will be condemned forever to purgatory, like the artist. <laughs> so I have to give the film to the people that paid for it, but I also don't want to yeah. like just, here's a link, have fun. Like that, I don't want to do that because I feel like I'm already probably compromising to some extent, like how well I can sell the film, but I'm 
I'm, I'm okay with that calculus. I'm okay with like, okay, well, here's, you can watch it. It's password protected, but you can't like send it all to anyone, you know, kind of a thing. Are tickets Let's, to your premiere potentially going to be available to people like Ron and I, like, is that yeah, yeah, that's really my, sort of my fun plan that I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to call the Egyptian. I, I looked on their website yeah. and it seemed like it was like 5,500 bucks, but I just want to get a sense of like, does it matter which day? Cause obviously yeah. it'd be great to have like a Friday or a Saturday premiere, yeah. but I want to get a sense of like, what is, but then also there's a bunch of like insurance-y shit, like yeah. a million dollars. So I don't, I have, there's a little bit of research that I have to do to figure out what is feasible. Cause I know nothing will get broke, you know, but I, I basically was like, I just want to have the easiest Kickstarter ever, which is like, we are trying, let's just say we, we, we need to raise six grand to pay for the building yeah. and to, to, to like fly Baron and put him in a fucking limousine. <laughs> Those are my only two things. I'm like, yeah. 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 So I think we could get away with this I, or I could get away with a $6,000 Kickstarter and just be like totally. a $20 ticket. That's it. Like going to, a movie. Oh, damn. that's all it would be. It would be a $20 oh, wow. ticket. And then you could, you know, a ticket and maybe you could do a ticket that comes with a book. Although I'm almost, I don't actually have any, almost any books left, but you know, or it would come with the film. Some, you know, you could, you could offer some other stuff. I would love to hear about that with that, yeah. when that gets, uh, gets going. Cause that, that project is the instant that I started uh, taking in that content is like, this is the, what needs to be in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 100%. your work, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready to pay for my ticket for that. Then, yeah. <laughs> maybe I could just, I could try and invite, I don't know, like art by filming people buyers. I don't see, yeah. I don't know. Something. This is where I get stuck. It's like, yeah. I can make the thing and then I don't, the infrastructure around actually putting it out into the world for wider consumption is where I just get kind of stuck. And, but I do think that the film is, you know, obviously if you're doing a fine art nude book or a comic about fucking, you know, gods duking it out, there's, there's a very finite audience for that already. Like there's a lot of things you can't do with the nude form because we mm -hmm. live in a weird world. But I think the film is the one, not only is it my biggest project, but it's also that has the most kind of cross compatibility. Yeah. I right. really feel like people like, like my, one of my partners, 82 year old mom watched it. And she was like, I had, this was really interesting. Yeah. I had a lot of questions. And she like had some really good questions and <laughs> she, awesome. like, she thought about it and was like, that was fun. Like, and she, apparently, and she was like, man, my mom doesn't watch anything. And she, I can't believe she sat through an hour and a half fucking movie. So <laughs> It, oh, but, it's, but it's still trying to get you know you got to get the right eyes on that motherfucker and that's where you'll get it i think yeah my skill think... set ends so but i'm gonna try i have some ideas of how to like kind of broaden like try and get other nice. people who maybe are good at that and see if they'll come and work with me for some kind of yeah. shoot us any links we'll always put the links in any anywhere this place this lives you know all the yeah, podcast yeah. places youtube all of it it'll be there and yeah yeah, you've got two more true fans here, man. This was this was fantastic. Really appreciate it. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, if you guys like find our new books, <laughs> there's one coming out in six days. Cool, man. Uh, right so on, man. I'll send you a link for that anyway. It should Please be do. Fun. It's, a, uh, it's all about representation, so it's a little bit different from my usual fare of just right. like look at, look at these pretty pictures. This was this actually has some some thought behind it. All right, thanks, Alan. Right right on, on, man. Thanks. Appreciate you, Alan. Thanks, my man. Field dressing. Field dressing. Alan Amato. That's great. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I, I, the moment I, I stop laying a brick a day is the moment I can feel my inner world get yeah. staticky enough that it creates a, a fair amount of distraction 
in my day-to-day living. Yeah, for sure. And Maybe those breaks. Man, yeah. Every time we have one of these conversations with someone like Alan, and Alan is, I think, also singular. Like, like it just. I mean, when when we were cutting for sign at the beginning of this, like, what are we looking for? I never really know what I'm looking for. I just know that I am looking, and I know when. Yeah, it you comes gotta up. just. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta. I've noticed the same thing. It's like. Yeah. I sense something here and yeah. take a couple stabs at it in the draw. You know, that's why I draw is five yeah. minutes. You know, we're just going to yeah. take a couple stabs, but you always end up finding something that's a little bit unexpected or a lot unexpected. Dude. I mean, the unexpected thing was like, what, what, like kind of being a little bummed about where, like not knowing where that film was before we started, like <laughs> yeah. getting all those, all those like, like really good clips, dude, those clips that were making me feel very, uh, um, motivated and and realizing like fuck i gotta i gotta get after some of this stuff in my life and and then he's like hey guess what it's like <laughs> you two guys today. are gonna be the first two guys outside of my circle to watch it like that's <laughs> that's bonkers man super bonkers that's and, that's like life that's just life being like like really you it's know, a little kiss on the forehead from life, gl- isn't it? Glitch in the matrix, you know? Like, come <laughs> on, man. What? Because I looked at it, it's little, little known. Like, I, it was a little secret. I wasn't going to say it in front of him, but I wrote his intro, and on his on his website, it says, currently, Alan is working on a documentary, Temple of Art. Yeah. And so I just, I wrote that, and I was looking up his uh, content. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? sometimes websites are out of date right you might not be working on that anymore and i don't want to look like a fool i know i was a little nervous about bringing it up too so i looked up the actual movie and it said it there was all this content saying it had been done and the content had been up since like 2015 and so i was like oh shit this is like six seven years old i'm glad i didn't do that the movie's been out forever you know and then you hop on the fucking thing and first of all his website is is oddly true he is still working currently working on the thing and secondly it's coming out tomorrow it's just like come on man i'm stoked let's watch it let's have a little watch party this weekend oh that would uh, be awesome yeah let's get that i think that's 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 up our alley big time and i want to champion that i I, my gut feelings it's gonna be that good that we're gonna enjoy it i would love to go down to the to the premiere man that's what i kept thinking man you can yeah. you, if you if you can meet Neil Gaiman <laughs> if he ever opens his link. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, man. That was probably the podcast that you have talked the least in, and I just want like, what, dude? I was just about? learning, man. I was I was a sponge soaking it all up. I mean, it was like, you know, the things I picked up was like it's like starting is is one thing, finishing is a whole different animal. Fuck yeah, it is a totally different animal. Yep. Um, Coffee's for closers. Coffee's for coffee's for closers. Like, (laughs) you know, the other thing I picked up was like, if you're, if you're expecting, um, you know, to get picked up by, you know, Tyndall house or whatever the, you know, whatever, whoever he was talking about the publishing house. And, and for me, I have that publishing house in my, in my mind for the kind of books I want to write. And I have the medallions on the covers of my book that I want, you know, and I, and I, and that's why I say like, well, hopefully in 20 or 30 years, I'd be able to do that. But I also know that like, you know, that's fucking lottery. That is, and there's all kinds of elements that are well out of my control on why those things hit and why they don't. Yeah. And, and so I, as I was listening, I was like, well, it's really just time to write what I want to write and be really proud of what I've made. 
Fuck yeah. And let the universe do what's going to do. And be entertained by it, right? Like, yeah. Right for yourself. And I know you do this already, which yeah. which which is awesome. It's more of a reminder for me. It's like, I'm the fan number one. It's like Tarantino says. He's like, if he's entertained, then he's pretty sure it's good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, the other thing I was feeling about this, this man, like this, you know, this, this experience of, of this podcast and now on a YouTube channel that people are, are watching, like, like this is opening itself up to a whole new creative avenue for me that I've always wanted to do and have never been brave enough to admit. And, and it, it's for me, you know, I don't have any like ambitions to create a, a, a revenue generating like channel that's you get a bunch of views and all that stuff. And I think even just that's what stopped me from like, we've had all these videos, you know, available for a year that we could have just turned on. And because of my perfectionism and desire to like, how do I make that million dollars was stopping me. Yeah. And, a good start would be to put the content up. <laughs> <laughs> put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's that, yeah, yeah I mean, that's just where I was with all this. I'm like, just soaking it up, like being basically being schooled on creativity and like, I can't add a lot to that. I can't, well, like, I can't. He has a lot of, he has a lot of things going for him that, yeah. I, what, one thing I don't, I don't like about people who inspire other people to do things is when, <clears throat> and I'm not saying he's doing this, this is just in general, is when they don't recognize specifically the reasons that keep people from doing things you yeah. know the sort of david goggins just fucking man up and blah, blah, blah yeah. you know that i'm yeah. not into that and like that's that's a person sitting at the table you know yeah the inner table of the archetypes that help you do things but that's that's a, a blunt instrument and not always the one that that works and yeah i think recognizing the things the the things that block people and keep people from making action and taking action or when they do action from stopping that action and getting into the specifics of oh okay so you know you have are experiencing anxiety when you sit when you you get yeah. all the way to the the type not you but you the royal you gets to the typewriter to the keyboard um to the canvas the, you get yourself there you got the paints like you've made it a bunch of steps and then you're feeling anxious mm -hmm. why you know um yeah. maybe there's there's ways we're approaching our art uh that are causing that anxiety maybe there's some lack of support in the rest of our life that's mm -hmm. not allowing us to arrive relaxed you know yeah maybe we're not uh neil gaiman and St stephen king where we can be cold in our house and still write. Those people are the best of the best. Like yeah. that we don't always need to be that. And yeah. we don't have the, maybe all of us don't have the drive that will overcome any adversity and we will just smash through it. You know, so I like to get into what can just help me or any other person who aspires to be more creative be more creative and start to take the next step, whatever it is. Yeah. Like he, he, I liked how he talked about himself where in painting, he's at the stage where he needs to go down to Blick and buy some paints, you know, yeah. that's the very yeah. beginning. Yeah. You know, but he's also as a screenwriter, just cashed two, you know, two screenplays this last, you know, year. So he's, a, and he's got 
all this photography career, right? We have, we have, we're all at different places and some of us are at different places with different arts. And I just, I really like when people sniper in um, and, and say like, let's address more specifically some of the reasons that are keeping you from making that next step. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think the, the brute force method of getting yourself through something like, it's like you're, it's like a, a, a key on the keyboard, not working. So you just smash the keyboard with a hammer until that right. until that one key works <laughs> well and i mention it because he has some things that are going for him and has they, yeah. they they don't that they are very they make it easier and mm -hmm. there are people out there who were not raised creative creatively yeah. who are have to develop creativity as adults when their brains are more less um malleable yeah. you know and it's challenging man it's really challenging. challenging yeah and so yeah. i i just like He's crushing it and has been for a long time. Um, he's also not the, afraid to talk about how, like his, his shortcomings. Oh, and he's definitely. Like, I'm good at no, this. I definitely. have no idea how this next part's going to work out. Well, his, some of his strengths that aren't like just sort of artistically privileged in my yeah. opinion are just like that, you know, anyone can benefit from just like that. That's what I'm talking about. Like yeah. just, just get going you know he 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 is addressing the issue of perfectionism and of procrastination specifically in the yeah. way i'm talking about by yeah. saying just start just do the thing like take yeah. the first step just go mm. well good job man that was a that was a trophy episode i think and um good job of finding that guy the universe brought him to us and oh the other part was um you know, the hunting metaphor of, of that he referenced from seeing, like sometimes you got to change the environment and, mm. and I mean, you know, fishing at the same hole when there's no fish, it's like, you got to move on. And I, I feel that in a lot of ways. I feel that a lot of ways. And it's, that's speaking to me too, about some things you and I've spoken to about in the past. And I'm, oh, dude, Ron, you're going to, you, with your upcoming it. potential change of environment yeah. in the next year or two, imagine how that's going to affect your life. Yeah. I'm, I'm stoked, man. This is, and, and, you know, like I'm looking at, I'm looking over my shoulder because I'm looking at two pieces of work, you know, two books that have been speaking to me about all this. And he's, he talked about his copy of war of art and the other is, um, uh, gay Hendrix, the genius zone. And it's, it's like something's going on when we honor that inner creative thing, something happens. And, and you and I honored that with his podcast and like we knew we had a, we had an inkling we're facing like, oh, there's already a gazillion of them out here. And we've gotten past that first, like 10 episode threshold where, you know, most of them die and, and we're like crawling through the graveyard <laughs> and, and like we felt at the beginning or at the end of this, of 2021, like this, I only have more, I have only more excitement, more power about this. And it feels like it, it, it's in one sense, very self-serving. I need to do this because I get something out of it. And another sense, like I, my hope is like someone else does too. And, but I don't have to, I don't have any pressure around that because I've, I'm enjoying this so much for my own that if it does awesome. And if it doesn't, I got, I'm, I'm winning still. <laughs> Yeah, we certainly get to meet some amazing, interesting people. It's like, <clears throat> I've never even heard that guy's voice. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, let's spend an intimate hour and a half together. Isn't that fucking yeah. wild? Dude, we got we got all the backstory, <laughs> the adopt. I mean, that's a lot of fun stuff, man. Thanks for sharing some of your story around that too, dude. I, I know some of that gets to come out. and It gets and, to? 
It's the most boring part of my life. <laughs> not to ones- not to those of us who are hearing it, dude. I think, uh, I think, um, yeah, I, I won't get too too far into that. But thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, thanks for all that you bring to the table, and and I had a good time being a being a observer today, big time. Hmm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> awesome. See you later. Adios, dude. Bye bye.